Welcome to Crime Beyond Borders, a podcast from the Journal of Illicit Economies and Development and the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. My name is Jay Albanese, and I'm a professor in the Wilder School of Government and Public Affairs at Virginia Commonwealth University. In this sixth episode, we're going to discuss organized crime and corruption in Ukraine, looking at the past, present, and future. More specifically, we'll be addressing how the ongoing conflict is shaping the landscape of organized crime in the country and the impact the war might have on illicit markets in the future. With me, I'm joined by Dr. Yulia Zabalina, Associate Professor in the Department of Political Science at John Jay College of Criminal Justice at the City University of New York. Also among our three panelists is Olena Shosko, Chairperson at the Ukrainian Center of Legal Studies. She's a professor at the Yaroslav Mudry National Law University in Kharkiv, Ukraine. Our third panelist is Dr. Alexei Serduk, head of the Research Laboratory for Psychological Support of Law Enforcement at the Kharkiv National University of International Affairs in Kharkiv, Ukraine. And all of our guests have extensive knowledge of Ukraine. They've all lived in the country, and two of our panelists are currently in Ukraine now. So let's jump straight in. Alexei, I'm going to come to you. I understand that you are in Ukraine now, and for reference, we are recording in mid-2022. How would you describe what's going on in Ukraine from your vantage point? According to organized crime in Ukraine, we observe a huge transformation now caused by war, but we also have the certain pre-war tensions pre-war trends of organized crime. Actually, before the war, we observe increasing the level of organized crime. But Ukrainian specific in these uh, questions, before the revolution, before the revolution in 2014, we observe the decreasing of number of organized crime, number of registered organized crime groups. And in 2012, in Ukraine, a unit for combating of organized crime was destroyed. They disappeared. And Ukrainian organized criminals have vacation for four years. And after these four years, in 2018, established a new department, Department of Strategic Investigations, in function of this department, uh, is combating of organized crime. So this long period in Ukraine, uh, unit for combating organized crime doesn't exist. From 2012 and 2016, there is nothing special divisions for combating organized crime. So it was vacations for our organized criminal groups. Yulia, given the work you have done on all kinds of organized crime around the world, in Eastern Europe and elsewhere, how would you characterize the nature of serious organized crime in Ukraine before the Russian invasion in early 2022? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much, Jay. And it's a pleasure for me to be here to discuss this 
important topic. Unfortunately, it, it has been rather disregarded in public policy in recent months since the beginning of the Russian invasion in, in Ukraine. And this is very unfortunate because we all, we obviously understand that the priority for Ukraine now is to respond to the Russian military campaign against Ukraine to deter Russian aggression, but uh, it should be very clearly stated for the government that the other priority or the other focus area should definitely be oriented towards responses to organized crime, because organized crime definitely capitalizes on societal vulnerabilities. And the war is an opportunity for many criminal organizations operating inside inside Ukraine. And I, I can probably expand a little bit more on this. But before I do that, let me go back to the question you asked. So what what, what is the dynamic now taking place in Ukraine in terms of organized crime related to the conflict? And my answer to this would be, what conflict is taking place in Ukraine? And in my opinion, there are different kinds of conflicts that Ukraine has been experiencing for the last decade, or a little bit less so. So we all know that there was the, the revolution, the um, revolt against the government, the president was, uh, uh, the president fled Ukraine, there was a power change in 2014, and the eastern part of the country, for some reason, decided to become independent or join Russia, and I'm referring here to the Lugansk and Donetsk National national Republics. Uh, those are kind of rebel-controlled territories. So when we speak about that kind of conflict, we are definitely experienced, we were experienced in a frozen conflict between 2014 all the way to 2022, when the actual traditional-style militarized campaign was launched by the Russian government against U Ukraine. So here we are, we, we are witnessing a very different kind of conflict. So to me personally, it's important to, to also to be able to differentiate between different types of conflicts. And Ukraine is not unique in this sense. We know that there are conflicts taking place in other parts of the world. Look at Guatemala or Nigeria or, or DRC in Africa. So those conflicts are very different. different. They are, uh, and there we can experience more of a communal conflict, insurgency, maybe violent extremism, like in the case of Nigeria. This is not what's going on in Ukraine. In Ukraine currently, in my opinion, the biggest issue related to organized crime that we, we need to look at is twofold. First, individual vulnerabilities of persons. I'm speaking about human trafficking and migrant smuggling, right? And the, the other crucial illicit market is illicit financial flows, money laundering, capital flight, you name it. And I'm happy to, to expand on this, but this market is, is critical to the current situation in, in Ukraine because many businessmen want to take the money away, away of the country. They want to, to because the, obviously the, the environment is not stable, is not favorable for business. Thank you, Yulia. Very insightful. Now we're going to turn to Olena. I understand that you are a resident of Ukraine. I would love to get your perspective on the circumstances which are aggravating organized crime locally in Ukraine, given the current wartime situation. Thank you, Jay. Firstly, I am happy to be here and uh, talk on this topic. 
I'd like to give some uh, remarks about Ukrainian organized crime a little before Russian invasion. In 2021, in Ukraine, 499 uh, organized criminal groups are detected. And the number of organized crime members who were prosecuted uh, increased from 598 in 2016 to 2248 in 2021. Also, it is recorded that members of organized uh, gang committed 4,318 crimes. But if we compare this data with the total number, of reported criminal offenses in Ukraine in 2021, it turns out that organized crime account for only 1.3% of the total number of recorded criminally unlawful acts. So as a criminologist, I may confirm that organized crime in Ukraine is a highly latent phenomenon and we don't know even its approximate uh, scale. We know that serious organized crime groups are usually active in multiple criminal markets. In Ukraine, this is a drug trafficking, counterfeit pharmaceuticals, illegal cigarettes and alcohol, human tra- trafficking, firearms, raiding, illegal timber export, fictitious enterprises. We know about these cases firstly due to investigative journalism publication as well as through analytical material of domestic and foreign scholars, Europol, Interpol. If we see what happened now, now you know Ukraine, we have a war, Russian war against Ukraine. It's not a conflict, it's a very atrocity uh, war. I see uh, some opportunities that uh, has organized crime in this time. These opportunities firstly uh, connected with human trafficking. Human trafficking is a major concern because the war has led to massive displacement of people in Ukraine. Ukrainian law enforcement agencies are involved in detecting and fighting war crimes in the first place. And many personnel of the law enforcement agencies are defending the country instead of combating crime and corruption. So in the war period, it is very problematic to really identify, detect or prosecute participants of organized group and criminal organizations. One-fifth of the courts of Ukrainian courts don't work now. Yes, really, organized crime is going to be benefiting since 2014 more than anyone else. The following areas have been especially growing. It's humanitarian assistance, fuel and lubricants to Norway, uh, weapons and ammunition, illegal smuggling of men abroad, online fraud, counterfeiting of document. And in addition to organized crime, we see that some crimes commit Russia as a state when uh, it looting Ukrainian grain, other agricultural produce and other goods from from Ukraine. And I only would like to stress this fact. Thank you very much, Olena. Alexei, the war in Ukraine has been going on for more than four months and there's no clear endpoint. 
How do you see the opportunities for organized crime shifting during the conflict? How have the conditions of war impacted the operation of organized crime in Ukraine from what it was before the war? As criminologists who, particularly sociologists, I'm sociologist and psychologist, so my uh, view on this situation more sociological. As a sociologist, I see the three uh, levels of developing organized crime. This is micro level, personal level, this middle level and upper level, uh, microsocial level. For me, completely clear, so war is bad for upper level. So uh, chance of supply distracted, economy failed, all business goes to abroad, but economy goes to the cash economy, to the shadow sector. It's, it is beneficially for micro level for persons who are involved in organized crime. So uh, lowest level, burglary, robbery, looting, organized and adding to those statistics who presented by Elena, majority of organized crime groups before the war was interregional characters. So among all uh, Ukrainian organized criminal groups, majority is uh, working on the territory of Ukraine between the different regions and we, in, inside the so-called governmental base with corrupted links with uh, government representatives. So uh, during the war, we see two different trends. First, growing opportunities for micro level uh, and uh, closing opportunities for macro level, upper level of criminal groups. Also, in these trends, pre-war trends, frozen conflicts, rise of internal arms, drug trafficking, weak state institutions provoke this, and uh, huge corrupted links with government provoke this development of this on micro level. This is opportunities for these individual criminals who develop their criminal business, cash-based, with arms, drugs inside the country. But this is micro level. We don't speak about big transnational organized crime. As for me, it's completely understandable that bet for these criminal groups. Great insights. Thank you, Alexei. I'd like to turn now to Yulia. You have experience both as a researcher and experience in the region, and geography is important here. Ukraine shares borders with seven countries, and the Black Sea is a key route from Central Asia. How do you see organized crime changing because of border issues related to the conflict? I will probably need to slightly modify your question in light of the fact that the war in Ukraine is not just a Ukrainian issue, right? Because whatever happens in Ukraine at this point is going to inevitably impact neighboring countries. So the entire continent of Europe will be impacted by the conflict in 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 Ukraine and importantly uh, as we look at organized crime we definitely need to look beyond Ukraine at Russia because Russia is currently under sanctions and and that gives an a lucrative opportunity to criminal the criminal groups operating in Russia. What remains a mystery to me, and we just don't have sufficient data to be able to clarify the relationship between organized criminal groups in Ukraine and organized criminal groups in Russia. The question is, do are they in war with each other? 
because of the war in Ukraine? Or can they build partnerships and go along the line of business as usual? And I, I'm not, as I said, I don't think we have sufficient data to be able to resolve this. And the reason why I'm saying this, that there's demand for illicit services in Russia and there's demand for illicit services in Ukraine. And those demands are of a cross-border nature. We mentioned trafficking in persons. Obviously, many uh, refugees will be living in Ukraine and they will be in a vulnerable position. And they may be exploited by criminal organizations from Ukraine as well as from criminal organizations in Europe. And they don't have to be of Eastern European origin. They could be um, from Central Europe, or maybe Albanians, or maybe some. we know that Albanians have previously exploited uh, Ukrainian women in uh, for human trafficking crimes. So that may repeat. And as I said in my previous intervention, it's very important that the the law enforcement uh, organizations units in the European Union are capable of mitigating those situations of vulnerability. I'm sure most of you are familiar uh, with the the Home Affairs Council issuing a 10-point plan on stronger European coordination and welcoming people fleeing the war against Ukraine. And and those 10 points uh, prioritize uh, building uh, EU-wide platforms for registration and exchange of information related to incoming refugees from Ukraine. Uh, They also cover mapping reception capacity and accommodation facilities. So it's a very elaborated 10-point plan. My, My hope is that that plan will be efficiently implemented so that those Persons in position of vulnerability will not be captivated by criminal criminal organizations. And definitely, as you asked about the borders, Jay, I would say that the critical point is the border between Ukraine and Poland and other Eastern European countries of the European Union. Um, maybe this is a question to uh, to other panelists. I'm not sure the border with the Black Sea is of such an importance, of such a critical importance at the moment. I'm not sure about that. So it's mostly that the focus area should be on, on land on land borders, particularly given that there is no air traffic or there's not much air traffic out of Ukraine or into Ukraine. Olena, you had a comment on what Yulia was talking about? I'd like to add to Yulia's point of view. When we talk about Ukrainian organized crime, we cannot forget about Russia organized crime. It is important to stress that Russian organized crime families have very close ties uh, with Ukrainian organized crime since the 1990s. Uh, they are trade partners in criminal business. And due uh, Galeotti, organized criminal groups played an important role in Russia's annexation of Crimea. It is noticed that organized crime groups in Donetsk and Lugansk region in 2014 helped Russian special forces to capture power. Uh, That's all in brief that I would like to add. I also want to add uh, one remark for those who who uh, would say, Yulia, I think uh, during this conflict, we also observed a new trend for Ukrainian organized crime. Before the war, Russian criminal groups forced out Ukrainian national criminal groups. But after this conflict and during this conflict, because we have conflict with Russia, 
all these criminal connections broken. So we expect that this time and after the war for these players come, actually we have two options. First option uh, for this empty space come national groups, national criminal groups, Ukrainian criminal groups. Second option for this empty space come European or Georgian criminal groups. Because during the fighting with organized criminal groups in, inside Ukraine, we make empty space. This empty space was occupied by Russian groups. So now this trend broken and we expect new trend. One option, Ukrainian groups. Second option, foreign groups. Moving on to our final round of questions. I'd like to focus on what might happen once the war in Ukraine ends. Specifically, I want your opinions on what national and international responses are going to be necessary to avoid a resurgence of serious organized crime in Ukraine, especially given the issues I've mentioned. We've got a large amount of forced migration, many new weapons in the region, maybe post-war political instability, the damage to Ukrainian institutions, and borders with seven countries. There's a lot to take in. So let's start with Elena. How should the national and international community respond to prevent the resurgence of serious organized crime once the war in Ukraine ends? I strongly believe in victory over Ukraine. So I'm sure uh, that after the war, there will be the time for rebuilding the Ukrainian economy, creating new opportunities for people to live in prosperous country. As a transitional state, uh, Ukraine needs to strengthen its democratic institution. Therefore, uh, European Union membership is a priority for the Ukrainian state. To my mind, uh, organized crime might decrease only by comprehensive strategies and uh, nationally and internationally. We need to climb shared economy uh, firstly. Also, there will be a lot of work in the area of construction uh, after war, uh, property development, engineering and restoration of major trans infrastructure networks. We expect that primarily this must be done at the expense of the aggressor, but it is a long process and uh, already now we see active financial assistance to Ukraine from international community. And important question is raised, how to minimize potential risks of embezzlement and other misuse of funds at implementation of a huge infrastructure and public services restoration program. I think law enforcement agencies of different countries, as well as international institutions such as European Union, Europol, Interpol, the Financial Action Task Force uh, should develop mutual prevention strategies to money laundering, to preventing trafficking, exploitation uh, of children, women. Also, very important to enforcement, the United States, United Kingdom, European Union sanction again, Russian occupant. So we need improvement of transparency and accountability in the programs of international assistance and investment cases by both Western donors and Ukrainian recipients, as well as good opportunity 
maybe in future for organized crime to involve in such activity. So we need to have active prevention strategies. Alexei, let me turn to you with the same question. Once the war ends, what national and international actions will be needed to prevent the resurgence of serious organized crime? In my opinion, as I say previously, now in Ukraine created so-called empty space for organized crime. And after the war, a lot of criminal groups came to this empty space uh, and a lot of options for these criminal groups. Now criminal economy cash-based, but after the war we need a lot of actions against cybercrime because they again start the not cash-based economy and this is one of most vulnerable areas of money laundering because as i said previously the state uh, a lot of criminal groups majority of these criminal groups uh, with corrupted links and these corrupted links with governmental agencies so anti-corruptional efforts must be uh, primarily realized and with the help of international institution we must observe the risks of money laundering uh, risks in cyberspace and crime crime types connected with weapons because a lot of weapons uh, leads to violent crimes so one of the risks returning of the such type of organized crime like in 90s basically with racketing with using of arms weapons and one part of the force basically must be based in cyberspace against money laundering other part of the force must be focused on radicalization of criminal groups using of weapons and uh, prevent the returns of so-called 90s style of crime uh, organized crime thanks so much alexi and finally we turn to yulia to hear your thoughts on the same issue i'm i'm very happy about the way you formulated the question when the war ends so once the war ends so the, the hope that I cherish in my heart is that it's going to be very soon. And perhaps timing is a critical variable, a critical factor in my answer to your question. So how much time will organized criminal groups have to adjust to the new economy, to the economy of a war, the conflict economy, right? So if criminal organizations will be able to embed themselves deeply into the social morphology, capitalizing on vulnerabilities, then dismantling those criminal organizations would take a big effort on behalf of state institutions. So the sooner this ends, the more likely that the Ukrainian state, new government, will be able to respond with some efficiency and effectiveness to criminal organizations. The longer it takes and the more criminal organizations join in, local or domestic domestic or international organizations, the more difficult it will be to control them and to put them back under, <laughs> under um, as I said, control. And that takes me to one of the responses to your question is that strengthening institutions State institutions will be perhaps priority number one as the war is over. 
And the second one that I wanted to emphasize is the market and firearms. And it has already been mentioned by, by Alexei. Obviously, now we have an escalated level of circulation of firearms in Ukraine for obvious reasons, right? The conflict is going on. So there are many individuals who want to procure firearms for personal defense or to be able to participate in combat. So And, and once the war is over... There should be a way to demobilize and disarm uh, the population. And that may be a challenge because many people may feel insecure about the situation. They may be more interested in hiding the firearms in their backyard or garage or you name it. So, And circulating unregistered, circulating firearms is never a good story for a country, right? It's never a good idea. I know uh, from policy discussions that this has been one of issues of importance for European Union countries as well as the United States, raising the question, should we send arms, firearms to Ukraine? Well, my answer to this is the dangers that come with the illicit firearms market should not be put as a priority over national defense. So in my opinion, the Western countries should still support Ukraine by supplying firearms so that the Ukrainian population, the Ukrainian army have the means to respond to the Russian aggression. This said, the answer or something that ties in back to your question, Jay, is something on the policy level needs to be done to disarm the population when the conflict is over. And I know that was an issue for Colombia, that was an issue for Russia's Chechnya back in the day, that it may take a decade to disarm the population. So this is what's coming up for Ukraine in a few lines. Thank you, Yulia. And I would like to thank you all for your insights. What makes this podcast particularly interesting is the fact that not only are we talking about the past, present, and future of organized crime and corruption in Ukraine, but also that we're hearing from people with lived experiences of the crime and justice issues there. So thank you all for joining us in a very informative discussion.